All right. Liz, thanks for reading that. Those, uh, those names of cities in the middle there are, uh, are a rough go. So you, you knocked them out. Um, I don't even like reading this passage because I don't like getting to those, to those names, but, um, all right. So y'all it's Pentecost Sunday and it's considered the birthday of the church. So we could sing happy birthday. I reckon if we wanted to, we're not going to though. If you grew up in Sunday school, then this story from this morning is probably something you're already familiar with. It's a group of believers in the newly resurrected Christ. They're gathered together. Suddenly the Holy Spirit descends upon them. It's described as tongues of fire. It empowers them to speak the good news of salvation in different languages. Other people gather around to see it and hear it, and they can't figure out what's going on. Uh, some of them are more cynically minded. And they assume that people are talking drunken gibberish, to quote a David Gray song. While others who are from different parts of the world, they take notice because they're hearing these uh, foreigners speaking their language. And so they want to figure out what's happening. Peter gives a sermon. A lot of people come to Jesus. It's all very odd. And when you read this story, sometimes, at least when I read it, sometimes I think, what is the point? Why, why is this story included? Because it's so weird and esoteric and it's non-repeatable. It's a great story, but when you, when you read it, it's just sort of, well, this happened. Uh, what do we learn from it? And that's what we're going to spend our time with today. To really understand the story and the significance of what's actually happening, we have to understand what Pentecost was prior to this moment. Pentecost was already a festival that uh, the Jews observed. Uh, it was also called the Feast of Weeks. So it was something that they observed before Jesus came on the scene. And it had its roots as a harvest festival that would take place seven weeks and one day after Passover, which remembers God's rescue of Israel and his protection over them while he exacted judgment on Egypt. It also has these strange theological ties to God's covenant with Noah, which he also makes with all flesh, uh, all of creation. So at its roots, Pentecost is a harvest festival. That's something to put a pin on and remember, where the first fruits of labor are collected. And it's also a covenantal memorial, remembering a time that God made a promise with his creation and also gave them the law. So hold that in your head for a second. Uh, you might see where this is going. On a day signifying harvest and promise and covenant, the Holy Spirit comes down on the followers of Christ, and people begin following this new movement in droves. So it's, it's not very hard to see that the harvest is the multitude of souls who are now coming to believe in Jesus as a result of this testimony. It's also the community that arises out of this testimony and out of this fellowship of believers. And it's the fulfillment of Christ's promise to send his Holy Spirit to all flesh before Jesus uh, before Jesus ascended, he made a promise that he would send something. He would send his presence to help. And so it's a fulfillment of another covenant. So already, as you can see, <clears throat> this isn't just an odd spiritual, spiritual moment where something interesting happens. It's deeply symbolic and theological, and it would have had significance to the people in attendance. It's an echo from the past about what God has already done. And it's a signpost event for what God is planning to keep on doing. 
But it doesn't stop there, or at least it marks a paradigm shift that has practical implications. So it's not just philosophical, theological, historical. This has legs, and it has somewhere to go, and it has somewhere to take us. So to understand that, we need to re-examine another story from the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel, which is found in Genesis chapter 11. I'm not going to read it to you, but again, if you were in Sunday school, you probably know the story. There were, here are the broad strokes, I'm not going to get into the, the really nitty gritty, but long time ago, once upon a time, when all of humanity spoke the same language, they decided they would see how amazing they could be on their own, and they decided to build a tower that would reach up into heaven and make a name for themselves. And God, being concerned for the hubris and the arrogance that this kind of thing would breed, confused their languages so they couldn't communicate any longer. People got confused. They couldn't talk. They couldn't figure out how to build this thing. The tower falls. The people scatter. And there you have the origin of languages. Boom. Now, for the sake of today's sermon, it's immaterial whether you take the Tower of Babel story literally or view it as a parable that explains the origin of languages. It's not really important. The thing to remember is that language is not just a way to communicate. It also demonstrates a great deal about the given culture that speaks any particular language. The thing to remember for now is that the story demonstrates how quickly things fall apart when people let their differences impede their work and their community, even when they ostensibly have a common goal. Misunderstandings arise, communication gets frustrated, pride gets in the way, and before you know it, everything that you try to build with your own power to show how great you are falls flat falls apart, and fails. Compare that story, the Tower of Babel, to Pentecost. In this moment is a great reversal of the moment of Tower of Babel. When the Babel story begins, you have a group of people impatiently trying to build their way to heaven by their own strength to make a name for themselves. Pentecost, instead, begins with a group of people patiently waiting for heaven to come down and meet them. And where languages were once confused in the Tower of Babel story and caused division, the Holy Spirit uses those same languages to transcend the divisions and the differences and make the good news of salvation known to all people. And the takeaway here is that human barriers mean nothing when the Holy Spirit begins to move. So, one more recap. Pentecost represents the emergence of the first harvest of Christ's ministry and a renewal of the covenant that God made with the flesh of all the earth. It reverses a moment in history where language and all that flows out of language confounded people's efforts and instead uses a myriad of languages to proclaim the news that Christ has done what our efforts always fail to do, and that is to bring heaven and earth together so that the kingdom of God is here, now, all around us hiding in plain sight. And that brings us to Peter's sermon. And I cheat, I'm going to cheat just a little bit because I want to carry it a little bit further to uh, 22 through 24. To close out what he says is, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, <clears throat> loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it.
So, and he continues to go on from there. Um, but forgive me, I needed to add that in there. Uh, Peter's message ends on this note that once and for all declares that salvation is not reserved for anyone based on birthright or based on things that flow out of human frailty and division. And he quotes the prophet Joel. And that's, yes, that's the same Joel that I'm named after. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Not just Israel, but everyone. And the proof is in this moment. Acts gives us a list of places that Liz read wonderfully, where people who were here for this event come from. And in this list of places, there are no fewer than 12 languages represented. Some of them are language isolates, which means they had no common root languages with anything else spoken at the time. Uh, they hailed from three different continents with many more splinter cultures within those. Uh, all of these people are people from countries that have polytheistic cultures, except for Israel. They're representatives from the big city, from the outskirts of the empire, foreigners, neighbors, uh, powerful and influential places, uh, and places that have disappeared from the map. And then he goes on to read this riff from the prophet Joel that uh, I pour out my flesh on all, I pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, your young men, your old men, your servants, your male servants, your female servants, everybody. Nobody's excluded. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I read those last couple verses because it's important to remember that that salvation comes through Jesus. And you can tell this is where it really gets good to Peter. Salvation is for everyone, but it comes through Christ because it's Jesus alone who has conquered death. And as we've talked about in the past few weeks, this is not a closed society. This is an open invitation. So yes, Jesus is the only way, but it's, it's a way that's wide open for anybody who wants to come and be a part. And this is where the practical side comes in. This is going to sound like a remix of other messages that Lindsay and I have given and that Derek has given in the past few weeks. The reason for that is because this is really, really important. Peter, if you remember from Sunday school, was a fisherman. And he was from Galilee. And the people here make note of that, uh, which effectively made him a hillbilly. He was just a country bumpkin. He wasn't a scholar. He wasn't a religious leader. He was just a regular guy. But he had this experience with Jesus that on the one hand caused him to dive into scripture and become familiar enough to bring it to bear, like in this moment when something uh, opportune came up. But on the other hand, it also emboldened him to speak the good news of salvation, even though some people thought he was a drunken buffoon. Because, yeah, some people thought he was crazy. But then there were people who heard what he was saying, but they heard it in their own language. And they heard it and thought, that's what I've been looking for. And towards the end of chapter 2, if you continue to read, you'll learn that some 3,000 souls came to Christ that day as a result of what Peter did. All because when the Holy Spirit began to work, a fisherman from Galilee, a backwater town, stood up and proclaimed something that was good and true. So then I read that and I think, well, what's stopping me? And maybe you read that and think, what's stopping you? 
I asked people that question this week, and the answers were myriad and fascinating. But they began to take common shapes. And you might, you might recognize some of these objections. Um, but I have my own answer to those objections as well. So some people think, what if I alienate somebody because of what I share? And I want to say, well, what if you end up connecting them to a community that they've been longing for? What if somebody argues with me and puts up resistance? But what if you're the one person that has an insight they haven't thought of? Christians often have a bad reputation. What if they think less of me? Well, what if you're the one who restores their view on what a Christian really ought to be? What if I offend somebody's religious faith? But what if also you reveal to them simply something they never knew about Jesus that they've been waiting to find out? What if I burn them out by talking about it too much? But what if one more conversation is the one that pulls them through a hopeless situation? Jacob Smith, who's a pastor at Calvary St. George in New York, he speaks of Pentecost this way. He says, it's not hands of fire, but tongues of fire, because the gospel must be proclaimed. It comes to you in word. It's not about your action, but it's about Christ's action to fulfill the law through you. Proclaiming the good news doesn't mean you have to insult anyone else's faith or that you have to put yourself on a pedestal, or that you have to stand out on a street corner with a sign and berate people for being sinners when they walk by. It doesn't mean you have to win every argument or that you have to beat people over the head with Bible verses. It doesn't even mean that somebody will become convinced and come to Jesus in your presence right then and there. You may never, ever know what good your proclamation did. And that's okay. Sharing the good news simply means introducing people to your Savior Jesus. And telling them what he's done for you and how he's changed you and how he gives you peace when nothing else does. And how he gives you hope when there's no hope to be found. How he walks with you and suffers with you and rejoices with you. And is constantly working in you to make you more and more who you truly are. And that this Jesus wants to do the same for them. The people who you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you hang out with, your people in your family, the people you encounter in random conversations... Strangers, friends, enemies. As Peter says, everyone. This is what Pentecost is. It's not merely the birth of the church. It's the pouring out of God's kingdom onto earth for all people for all time. It's a kingdom with no country. It's a citizenship with no ethnicity. It's a creed for every language. And it's a kingdom in which all who call upon the name of Christ can take part. And that's good news for everyone. So the question is, what are we waiting for? I'm going to leave you with that. Close us in prayer, and then we'll go into our next breakout groups. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and for what this morning helps us to remember and what it calls us to, uh, to do as we reflect on the way your Holy Spirit moved so long ago and the way it's continued to move through history. We pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened by this testimony that we read today, uh, that our testimonies might also be meaningful and inspirational and encouraging to those who we encounter day in and day out. So strengthen us to that end, encourage us, embolden us, and help us to be people who reveal your kingdom uh, in everything that we say, everything that we do, and everything that we proclaim. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.